When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome to a very, very special edition of the Masterclass. I'm your host, Haydar Abani. As always, I'm joined by Karen Tejwani, who is the writer of Wings of Change, a massive expert on the Red Bull model and project, which has been so, so fantastic in the past 10 years. He's an expert on Ralph Ranić. I'm delighted to invite you on the podcast, Karen. How are you and how excited are you about the prospect of Ralph Ranić in the Premier League at a really, really big club in Manchester United? Yeah, thank you for having me on here. It's always good to talk about Red Bull and Ralph Ranić. And, you know, it was a bit of a surprise when uh, the news came out that Ranić would be very close to signing for United. It was The speed of it was quite surprising. I didn't think that United would actually pull it off. Uh, but, you know, here you are. And it should be a bit of a ride. It's, it's always uh, very fun to have Ranić working in football. And this is undoubtedly the biggest job he's taken on in his career, which is weird to say for a person who's been in football for so long, who's, who's 62 years old now. So uh, it, it's going to be fun. I don't, I don't think a lot of people, especially in England, especially close to English football, know much about him. Uh, but they've seen bits of what he does uh, through people like Thomas Tuchel, Lee Nagelsmann, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be very, very fun. I'm someone that's uh, followed him quite closely since 2019. He was linked with the Manchester United job when Solskjaer got made interim. That didn't materialise. It's uh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because he's a manager who isn't necessarily someone that's won a lot of big trophies. And that's something I want to start with, just to maybe alleviate some of the Manchester United uh, fans who are a bit concerned about that. But it's about the philosophy. He's a teacher, isn't he? He's all about teaching and sharing that knowledge and ensuring that we, you know, quick 
transitional football, counter-pressing, high energy, win the ball back quickly. Verticality is very, very important. So what would you say to some United fans who are a little bit concerned about the fact that his CV isn't you know, similar to some of the top, top managers in world football? It's, I think it's a fair concern for many people to have. I think that you know people want to be uh, appealed to by a manager or a player's success in the past. You know, nobody likes to see a, play, a person come in who's not had a big C. But while I say that, it's also important to mention that it, it, football is not just about the trophies. And for Ralf Rangnick, it's certainly not the case. He's probably the most influential person in modern German football, at least one of the top, one of the most influential people in modern German football. Uh, what he's done for the game in Germany, for coaches there, people like, as I mentioned earlier, Julian Nagelsmann, Thomas Tuchel, Marco Rosa, coaches now who are working at top clubs like Bayern, Dortmund, Chelsea. The most recent Champions League winner is, 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 is a Ralph Rangnick disciple. So that sort of thing is almost an invaluable piece of history to have in the game and an invaluable legacy to have in the game. Uh, you know, in the past, right, he was from the 90s, he was a bit of a revolutionary in German football. Uh, with his with his persistence with the back four at the time where the sweeper system was the most popular thing in Germany. You know, when they won the World Cup in 1990 and they had the sweeper, um, even back from, from the 70s, he decided he wanted to change things. And in time, it was proven that he was right because German the, the German national team had a quick downfall immediately after winning that World Cup. So at a time where everyone was against his ideas, he persisted with his own ideas and he was quite successful. And now... Uh, other top coaches in the world have some version of his football and, and enjoying their success with it. So he, he has a bit of an invaluable legacy in German football and it's, it's good to have at United. Absolutely. Let's start, Karen, with Ranik's career. So you've mentioned a little bit, you know, obviously he is he is someone who's got a wealth of experience, but we really saw that at Hoffenheim, didn't he? Where tiny, tiny village in Germany. I mean, I read the fantastic article by Raphael Honigstein on The Athletic about him, just to get a bit more more background on Ranić. I didn't know actually sort of the early days of his career, but what he did at Hoffenheim to make them what they are today, because they're quite an established club in German football. You know, they they obviously play they play Champions League football as well. Was fantastic. So let's talk about that uh, that sort of era and what did he do for Hoffenheim to elevate them onto the world stage. His work with Hoffenheim is quite unique. I think that, you know, as you mentioned, it was a village club. Uh, they were owned by a billionaire and Dietmar Hoffenheim. I don't want to take away the success from other clubs who focus on natural resources, on resources of their own. But Hoffenheim were a club heavily funded by a billionaire, which is very uncommon in, in German football, in Dietmar Hopp. And he was eager to see his own local team, Hoffenheim, go from the bottom tiers of German football to the very top, which is what they achieved eventually. And Ranić joined them when they were in the third when they were in the third division, and in time, very quickly, they went to the first division, which is the Bundesliga. And um, it, it was a successful tenure for him, mainly because he had the keys to do whatever he wanted. Now, Ranić himself is a very demanding person when he works at the club, which is one of the reasons that I was a bit of surprised that United got him. But he's very demanding. He wants control even over the smallest things at the club, which could be as little as you know how we travel to away games or what we eat on the coach or how we or, or what activities we do before the game. It's not just what happens on the pitch or what happens in training. It has to be in the smallest things like living or, or what hotel you're living in or what you're doing. So he wants to have control over those little things and, and understand what the team's doing and make the team and tailor the team to his needs. So at Hoffenheim, he had the freedom to do that and. With the investment, the free investment that was given to him by his owner, his boss, the owner of the club, um, he got that. And his main idea at Hoffenheim was to have young players coming through. 
Uh, he wanted to have players under the age of 23 and he wanted to be successful with them. And he also had a, a strong scouting system, mainly in Brazil. And he bought a lot of Brazilian talent. The most popular one was probably Luis Gustavo, who eventually ended up playing for Bayern Munich. Um, so that happened. And then he joined when they were the third season and they had successful promotions and they ended up in the Bundesliga in 2008. And by Christmas, in their first ever Bundesliga season, they were top of the league. So it was it was quite a big deal. And they were competing with Bayern Munich. And I mentioned this on my Twitter feed the other day. The other day, one of the most pop, one of the most entertaining Bundesliga games in recent years has been between Hoffenheim and Bayern Munich, and Bayern won that. But it was still a treat for the eyes because of the speed at which the game was played at. Uh, local newspapers called for it to be in the German FA coaching course. They wanted the foot, their future their future football to be played like this, and they wanted coaches to be inspired like this. Raphael Honigstein himself said it was autobahn football, which was the, the most popular German highway. And the speed at which it was played, I was very impressive. If you watch that game back, it's 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 really enthralling. Uh, sadly for Radnik, that spent, that stint ended quite sorely because of that control being taken away from him. Uh, Luis Gustavo once again was sold uh, without his knowledge and ended up leaving some feuds. But to to to, to conclude, his his work at Hoffenheim was incredibly popular, and he made Hoffenheim what they are today, which is an established Bundesliga club. How he did that was with unique training methods. He employed coaches from other other sports. He had a strong level of sports psychologists to understand the mentality of players. He employed ice hockey coaches because he felt ice hockey and football had transferable skills. So it's a lot of those little things that made his players better and made those young players hungrier for more success. Uh, it's, it's absolutely f- fascinating. I did read that in um, Honigstein's uh, article where he was saying that he looked at other sports and he was like, why is football so far behind? You know, I think it was, was it a volleyball? I, I might be incorrect here, but there was a sport where they were training, you know, maybe like 10 hours a day football. You're going in training a couple hours coming back. And he was just, he's just pulling all these ideas. I mean, look, he's a thinker, isn't he? He's, he's an intellect. He's, he's all about the sports science, the numbers. It's what Manchester United need right now, don't they? For, for the last decade or so, it's been haphazard, not footballing decisions, lack of plan lack of um you know modernization i think that's something that Ranik will, will bring we'll sort of skip over Schalke. he did well at Schalke, but let's talk about the red bull model that's what, we, what we're going to be talking about today before we do that guys so make sure you hit the like button hit the subscribe button give karen a follow as well on twitter we'll drop his at handle and his details in the description below because he's a great person to follow with great insight let's talk about that red bull model i'm going to bring up a screen grab here if you listen to this on spotify we have an excerpt from uh current's book which is uh a fantastic fantastic book you guys should definitely read it and we'll put the link in below as well but let's talk about this so let's start with the red bull model they they're almost branching out to every single spot aren't they they're in formula one and whichever spot they go into they seem to have success i mean it's it's quite staggering so let's talk about the red bull model what is it and could we see a similar sort of model brought into Manchester United? I know Manchester United is a massive, massive club, but they do need some sort of structure in them in place, don't they, to elevate them to future success? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. I think that Manchester United for a long time have not been a football club. And, you know, when Solskjaer was sacked, I think it's another sacking. It's another similar cycle where everyone sort of gets tired of the, the old manager. You know, the players, I don't know what happened there, but the, the players seem like they lost interest. They Lots of stories came out that Bruno, Bruno Fernandes said he wasn't able to understand concepts or whatever was going on. It felt like the same old cycle. Similar things happened with Mourinho, with Van Hal, with David Moyes, um, and happened against Sosha. But 
the, the important part now is for Manchester United to become a football club once again and not just focus on what happens off the pitch. It's going to be controversial to say, but I think Edward Wood's done a good job with in terms of what he's done from the commercial side, you know, in terms of the sponsorships. But let's face it, he's not a football man. He's not a football person at all. He's a, a, a perfect person for the owners who want to milk out money, but he's not the perfect person for the football side of things. And we've seen that over the last uh, eight or nine years. Um, but Ralph Anik is that football man, and having him in will change that football structure. Now, about Red Bull, uh, Red Bull is a more turbocharged version of Hoffenheim. Uh, he had the same level of control that he did at Hoffenheim. He had the same amount of financial freedom. He had the same amount of decision in, influence in his decisions. Uh, he could basically do whatever he wanted yet again. And this was a big operation because he was managing on different scales because he had four clubs to manage. He had Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, RB Leipzig in Germany, New York Red Bulls in uh, the United States, and ultimately uh, Red Bull Brazil, which is now a, a different operation. So he had four clubs, four different countries, and he managed to put out a similar philosophy for everyone, which was to have younger players coming through. So players between the age of 23, uh, 18 and 23, he wanted to play attacking vertical football with a high press, which is what we've seen uh, famous Red Bull teams do. And he wanted to have a network of coaches and scouts coming through who had the similar philosophy and ideology to him, which is why so many young coaches have come through uh, under his guidance. Now, the screen grab you see on the screen is is not from my own work, but it's from uh, the International Trainer Conference from uh, 2017, where Ralph Ranick spoke, and he spoke about why he prefers to have younger players uh, over older players. And you can see a lot of the reasoning is is very logical and very simple. Younger players have less injury history than, than older players. Younger players have more motivational uh, differences than older ones. You know, younger ones want to make their name in the game and older ones want to protect their reputation so they will have more hunger to, to grow in the game. Uh, younger players have less riding on their shoulders and then certainly at the time they did. And they have a greater potential for market value enhancement, which is that they can be sold for higher fees. Now, the different, this is mainly designed for the Red Bull model because uh, RB Leipzig or Salzburg aren't as big clubs as Manchester United. So they have to sell players in order to go to the next stage. But for Manchester United, it's different because United are a big club and they've never historically been a selling club. You know, As we've seen recently with Dan James, his sale was one of the biggest sales in United's history. So United, they can develop those players, which is what they've been very good at historically. And bringing in that additional mind like Ralph Ranick, who has this incredible history of developing young players and coaches, will be a massive benefit for the club and academy. And because they don't have to sell those players in the future, because they aren't a selling club by nature, they can keep these players for the long run and become the super superpower uh, that they're ideally meant to be. So in that respect, there are lots of similarities between Red Bull and United from a youth perspective. And the main difference will be that United can finally keep these players for the long run. So something uh, I'm going to kind of throw a bit of a spanner in the works here because uh, we need to bring in the Glazers into this because the Glazers, any Manchester United fan doesn't need to be told about the damage that the Glazers have done to the club. I really like the idea of signing young players. So I've got sort of a two-part question. First, will he will Ranit be given the authority to go and get these less marketable players? And I'm saying it like that because shirt sales or something, you know, commerci commerciality, the non-footballing side of Manchester United is what the Glazers really care about, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Is there a concern that one, Ranić might not be able to bring those players in because they won't sell the shirts that Cristiano, was, Ronaldo would sell or a Paul Pogba? 
And the second point is, aren't the Glazers sitting there rubbing their hands, Curran? Very, very happy at the idea that, you know what, we're going to get a lot of really talented young players and we're going to sell them for huge, huge amounts. Isn't that a bit of a concern or a legitimate concern to have as a Manchester United fan when you hear this? I think it's fair to have that. I think that, you know, United... Rafanik, I don't think he would have taken the job if he didn't know that... If he knew that he wouldn't be able to sign these young players as he has. You know, he's a very... uh, He's very intent on wanting on getting what he wants, and I think that he would have wanted some assurance that he can get these players in, regardless of how marketable they are, or how not marketable they are. Um, you know, I think that there will be a mixture of getting in these relatively unknown players from from different leagues and mixing them up with signings of of the caliber that we we know in United bring in. So they're bringing these popular players and mix them up with these young players that we rarely know of. Um, and I think that's how it's going to work in the long term. I think that's that's how I see it happening, at least. That's, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but, you know, in, in a way, you could also see the Glazers or United hierarchy rubbing their hands and, and being excited that these players will come to the club and become big in the future and hopefully they can try to make some money out of them. Um, it, it's hard to judge at this point, but I think the first seven, eight months or until the end of the interim period, we'll know more about it. I think that... There's already a good squad in place, which is fairly young. You know, they've had players like Rashford and Sancho, and even Bruno Fernandes is still fairly of the right age in the, in the prime of his of his career. So the, there is there doesn't need to be a drastic reduction of the age of the squad. I think the only major concern would be the forward line where Cavani and Ronaldo are there, who seem like, or at least Ronaldo seems like, at least a very unranic player. So um, that that would be one of the bigger concerns, but I, I think that the squad right now is fine enough, and they just need a few more players to complement them, especially in midfield, perhaps even in defence, uh, to sort of build the ideal team. Yeah, I think uh, I think the positives definitely outweigh the negatives when you think about the Ranier appointment, and that is something I think it's something maybe to keep an eye on when you have looked at Manchester United scouting. Did get better under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You did see people like Ahmad Diallo come in. Palestri come in. I want to talk about the academy as well. I want to talk about the academy structure within the Red Bull model. And I kind of want to link it to Manchester United because Manchester United have put a lot of money and a lot of investment and a lot of revamp into the academy. And it's actually probably one of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I'm going to say Nicky Butt as well was so instrumental in this. He's gone now. It was one of the big successes, I'd say, over the last five years for Manchester United. You've seen some really talented Hannibal Medjbris there. You've got some really talented young players coming through. Um, let's talk about the academy. What did the Red Bull model do in terms of the academy? They must have invested heavily into the academy. Is the academy seen then as the real sort of hub for Ranić when it comes to talent? It is, and it was one of the successes of the Red Bull model, as you mentioned. Um, not particularly in Leipzig, but at least in New York and Salzburg, they had um, a, a very structured academy system. Uh, in Salzburg, they spent about 400 million euros on building a brand new academy. It's very modern, very state of the art. Uh, if you look at the pictures of it, it's very visually appealing, uh, based in the based near a couple of mountains of the uh, mountains in, in the area. It's 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 built to look at from the outside and the inside. The facilities are very uh, modern as well, um, and and that's that's one of the successes. And we've been able to see why so many young players have been able to go through uh, their model and and be so successful in the future and i'm not just talking about players who've come through locally but players from abroad as well you know when you think of people like sadio mane minamino both of liverpool now uh nabi Keita, even even erling Haaland, who played at salzburg for a while uh, all these players came in from abroad got the perfect red bull training learned from these ranik and red bull ways and and became the players they are now 
Um, and and that's that's one of the successes. That Leipzig was a bit of a concern because there is no clear, there was at least no clear pathway uh, to the first team because the first team was so complicated and convoluted, and there's little path to sort of break through the first team. Uh, they've changed that now in recent times, and and they've been able to bring in more players from the academy to the first team. But from Salzburg and New York, they had a very clear structure, and that worked out. And and similarly at United, it's it's as you mentioned, it, it was rightly one of social successes that. While he was there, he did streamline the academy process and more players got a chance uh, to at least be a part of the first team, if not be consistent first team players. Um, so that could work out quite well. And, and as, as, the, as the picture here says, it, it, he has a formula for these young players and how they can improve. And a lot of it revolves around mentality. So it has to be a combination of your natural born talent and acquired skill, which natural born talent is what you have since birth, since since you were a very young player. Acquired skill is what can be drilled into you in a way, how you can be coached, how you acquire new concepts. And that has to be multiplied by your mentality, which is your own state of mind. And that results in your total competence as a footballer. So I'll give you a good example. Yusuf Paulsen, uh, when he signed, Ralph Ranić gave him a five for natural born talent. So he wasn't the most talented footballer, very uh, mid-range. His acquired skill was what he was taught, which he gave him a six for. So that adds up to 11 and his mentality was given a perfect 10. So it adds up to 110, which was one of the higher rankings he gave for a footballer. So even if you watch Yusuf Pausen now, he probably isn't the most attractive footballer to watch. He probably isn't the most uh, uh, talked about players in football, but every coach he's had at Leipzig loves to have him in the squad, regardless of his deficiencies as a footballer. You know, when you think of Nagelsmann, Ranić, Hasenhutl, all very good coaches, all of them gave Pausen an integral first team first team role because of how he was in terms of his desire to become good and desire to play for the team and that's the sort of player Ranić demands at United I think that you know you know, they have players who may not be the best on the ball or off the ball but they have players who give it their all for the team so you think of names like Fred McTominay Victor Lindelof may not be favorites amongst the fans but I can see a place for them at under Ralph Ranić Let's talk about that, actually, before we talk about Ranić's sort of influence. Let's talk about a couple of players who uh, would have a place. I said earlier, Fred, definitely, I can see, especially with his his ability to um, be very effective, I think, in the counter-press. Uh, Tommy is an interesting one. I don't see a lot of um, vertical passes from him, but, you know, that's something that probably could be coached. Uh, Lindelof is one player that I thought who would definitely be in Ranić's size, just because of the fact that his ability on the ball is, is very, very good. He's just... He is. He has probably got deficiencies under aerial aerial balls, uh, physical duels. Are there any other players that you're looking at? I think Bruno Fernandez um, could really, really benefit. He needs some more formal. I, I'm going to say formal. You know, coaching in terms of structure. He, his ability in a defined system. We've seen on the Oligan Solskjaer. I mean, I don't know if it's with the free role he was given, but he's not very disciplined. So that's something I do want to see. What about Donny Van der Beek as well? Do you expect him to be a player? who uh, could thrive in the system and then Jane Sancho we know Ranić is a huge huge fan so are there any other players that I've meant that I've mentioned that you want to expand on or are there any other players that could possibly find themselves in uh in contention for starting spots under Ranić no you mentioned all the big ones I think Bruno Fernandes and Fred will be uh almost they're supposed to, they're expected to have very good roles in the squad I think they have the right energy and right uh, desire for the team uh, you know, Fred. If you if you watch his performances for Brazil, he's on most games one of their better players in midfield. Very energetic, very uh, demanding of the ball, and and willing to do to do, do the dirty work off the ball. 
Um, so I think that could be quite handy for a Ralph Ranić team, and same for Bruno Fernandes as well. You know, and Sancho, you mentioned he Ranić did admit that he was a fan of him since he was at City, and he wanted to bring him to Leipzig, but he chose Dortmund instead. So I imagine that he would be one of the first names whenever he's fit on the team sheet. Even Rashford, in terms of the energy he brings to the team and, and his willingness to press, he would be a, a strong, a, a strong member of the first team as well. Uh, you know, you meant I should bring in Harry Maguire. I think his leadership qualities are quite. Uh, I don't want to say doubted, but uh, weak, weak. weak, weak. Yeah, I think lots of people don't seem to recognise the impact he has on the team when he's not there. Uh, he may not be the best defender in the world or the best defender on the team, even, but he does have a certain quality to to uh, to be more progressive and and carry the ball forward and and show some leadership in that regard. So I think that he would be quite important. Uh, at least in this interim period, um, while while Ranić is there, so th- there are a few players that would thrive that I really didn't under under Solskjaer, especially in the final months. Uh, Van de Beek, I, that, it's hard to say he has the right qualities, but you know it, it's a difficult one to talk about every time because he's been at the club for almost what fifteen months now, and he's not had the chances to show his best talents. And when he does, he's it, it's hard to show the perfect match rhythm when you play only once every five games or play. 10 or 15 minutes every game. It's just difficult to judge a player of his quality. But I actually showed uh, the right quality, especially in the Champions League season where they reached the semi-final. His, his intelligence with his runs, his intelligence when he's not with the ball, and his desire to press. I think that would be quite handy under Radnik. Absolutely. Any players that could possibly find it a struggle? I think you could probably look at the both the full... Well, Luke Shaw, obviously, you saw the clip going around of uh, Ranić saying that Manchester United need a left-back. That was in 2020. It's before Shaw's upturn in form. Is he someone you could possibly see uh, struggling under this under this system? Martial, I think, is another one. Uh, not the most industrious without the ball. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is a player, possibly, as well. Are there any... Well, let's, let's ignore Ronaldo, because we... Everyone knows that there is that kind of mismatch between Ranić and Ronaldo. But you never know because Ranić's smart enough to find a solution which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer couldn't do when uh, Ronaldo came into the side in terms of the, the lack of off-the-ball work. But is there any other players that you think you know possibly will maybe struggle to adjust? Uh, I think the Luke Shaw thing is, is, as you mentioned, it was back in 2020 and he said it at a time where, I think he said it around the time when they lost 6-1 to Spurs and Shaw had probably one of the worst games in the United shirt for him the last six or seven years. Um, so, you know, I, I think since then, and that Spurs game was a turning point for sure. It's it, his form changed off that because they got in Tellers and whatever the reasons were, whether it was fitness improved or his, the, the coaching around him improved, or he just had a greater desire to, to be the best player he could be. He's been a different player since for club and country. And even though this season has been, hasn't been the best start for him, I think he can bring it back quite easily because he's that good. So I don't think that's an issue for Shaw, and especially if Ranić shifts to a back back three or back five, however you want to look at it, he plays with wing backs. I think that Shaw would quite find it quite useful for himself. So I, I don't think there's much to worry about Shaw. And Man Saka, perhaps on the ball, he may not be the best, but I still think defensively at least he's he's a very useful player. I think that he won't have any issues as well. I think that he could at least for the interim period be uh, a part of that first team quite consistently. And I don't think the, the replacements in the team, whether it's Diego Dallo. I don't think they're quite as good as as Wan-Bissaka would be, so I think he's fine too. Uh, as for Ronaldo, that's obviously been the big issue since the Ranić news came out. Uh, you can't doubt Ronaldo as a footballer, great goal scorer. You, you don't score seven hundred or eight hundred career goals if you're an average footballer. So, um, but the issue does come around where his his off the ball work is is a bit of a concern. 
you know, uh, this was written in the Guardian a couple of days ago, where where it was mentioned that Ronaldo solves the problem that Ronaldo creates, and he is that sort of player. He can he can turn a game in an instant. Um, whether Ranić builds a team around him to sort of accommodate for his lack of pressing or his lack of off the ball effort uh, is is to be seen. But I think that he will be integrated at least in this interim period, and maybe he won't be given a long term contract after the season, or he, he will. He will last his career at United or his contract in United before moving on. So I, I can't see him being here beyond his contract, but I can see him being used in the squad on Ranić and the team being played, be, being made around him, where the ten players other than him do his job and, and try to accommodate for his lack of presence off the ball. Um, but yeah, a couple of other players, Martial definitely. I, I can't see a future for him anymore. He's been off the mark for almost two seasons now. He had that one period during lockdown where he was scoring goals in a constant, but that dried off and he, he is just it's hard to judge with how he how his his mentality is in the game he just doesn't seem to want to make an effort so he could be off perhaps it could be the end for Nemanja Matic as well um, maybe even at the back we could see a swap between Henderson and De Gea and obviously De Gea has been great this season but maybe give Henderson more of a chance uh, how okay so I want to talk about um, the system that you can see Manchester United using I can see the 4 fitting quite nicely with the current squad and may not have got talent in their squad where they could probably play they could probably play the 442 diamond they could play the 433 probably as well they haven't got that established defensive midfielder but um where does Paul Pogba fit into this as well let's say they play 4222 where would Paul Pogba fit because a lot of people have made a lot of things I'm a big Paul Pogba fan I'm at the stage now where probably he's going to leave in the summer and maybe that's the best thing for him the club and, and everyone involved I think he's supremely talented I still think he's an asset, but there are concerns that he, in terms of, I'm not sure how he would work in that counter press. He's not the the best at that. Um, so yeah, what mod, what uh, formation do you see Manchester United using, and does Paul Pogba have a have a place in that starting lineup? Uh, it's hard to judge with Pogba. I don't. I personally don't think he's going to be uh, mightily useful under Ranić. I think that the injury sort of helps Ranić in a way. Uh, you mentioned rightly he's a, he's, a, he's a great footballer, perhaps the best midfielder at the club, one of the best players at the club even. Uh, and he, he's a, he's definitely a goal standard midfielder when he's on his on his at his best. And I too am at the stage where I feel that he, it's his last few months at United. I know he says every year, but I, I do feel it's his last few months at United, and he'll be gone at the end of his contract. Um, but it, it, I think the four three three works best. You know, it, it's. For, it makes the best use of the squad profile uh, in terms of the wingers they have. There's Rashford, Sancho, Ahmad below them, uh, even if you want to include Martial as a winger. Um, but it, it makes the best out of the talent they have. It's it's It gives the midfielders a freedom to do what they want. Even Bruno, he's, he's played his best football in that role. But he has that sort of expression to do whatever he wants in, in, in the middle of, of, of midfield. Um, so I think that works best with with the entire squad profile. We know Ranić has been quite popular with the four two two two, especially at Leipzig. Um, but even in his in his 2019 2018-2019 season, he used the back five quite often. And that was when there was more defensive solidity. You know, in the previous season on Hasenhutl, they conceded seventy four goals, I think it was. And in the next season, where they focused more on counter pressing and and keeping the ball and and or on of counter pressing and and sort of being a more solid side in defense. That that number almost half to around forty five, so um, he focuses on that sort of thing quite often. I think that the four three three would bring that more, bring that level to to the team more often. You know, I think 
as you mentioned, the likes of Fred and all we include included in the squad. I think that, that there isn't a permanent place for Pogba in the team, and, and the injury is a bit of a blessing in disguise for Ranić himself because he didn't have it. Doesn't have that stress of having to include the player in the squad. Yeah, very, very interesting. Karen, let's finish off now with uh, sort of the succession plan. So Ranić will be a six-month interim. We're seeing that he would possibly like to take the job full-time. I think uh, United should do the six months and then bring in a manager after that. Let him have a huge say in who he brings in as well and move him upstairs. He's going in a two-year consultancy role. They're saying it's going to be a sporting di- director role. Hopefully, he'll have the influence. But there's two managers, obviously, that are very, very heavily linked to Manchester United. Mauricio Pochettino, who is the lead, uh, the front runner in this, and then Eric Ten Hag as well. We're seeing a lot of, lot of uh, reports actually coming out today regarding Eric Ten Hag that uh, the club really like him, and uh, Ajax won't stand in the way of of uh, Ten Hag if he wants to move from Manchester United. So based on those two, I, mean, I, I really like Pochettino. Uh, I would be delighted with either of them. Which manager do you think is a better fit in terms of succession? And there's one name that keeps on coming up uh, consistently with uh, a couple of the listeners, and they want me to ask you this today. So I'm going to ask you, Ralph Hasenhutl, someone I actually re- really like. I think he's a fantastic manager, done a really good job at Southampton. Again, they play a 4-2-2-2. Um, but which manager do you think would be the best fit uh, post uh, Ranić, and I think Poch- he'll be one of Pochettino Ten Hag. Um, I think that Ranić, as you mentioned, he shouldn't be a long term. He probably wouldn't want to be a long term manager at the club too, because he's not been uh, very eager to manage club manage teams uh, over the last seven eight years. You know, he's only taken on two jobs in terms of management. That's been that's both of them with Leipzig. One in 2015-16, where he got them promoted to the Bundesliga, and one in 2018-19, where he was sort of the transition manager between uh, Ralf Hasnudel and Julian Nagelsmann. Um, so he doesn't really like, per se, coaching, uh, and he likes to see the club or the team from above the head coach role. Uh, so I think he would be here for the rest of the interim period before moving on to the sport and director role that United desperately need. Uh, and that would be the best thing for all parties. I think that the team and the club would benefit massively from that because they've lacked a pure footballing presence above the head coach uh, in recent times. So, you know, that, that would work best. And and in terms of the next coach, uh, I think Pochettino seems like the more logical choice uh, purely because of his more Premier League experience and his experience of working with these sort of, these sort of teams and players. Obviously, Ten Hag, a very good coach himself, a very good tactician, a very shrewd, smart, calculated manager. And you've seen that with this Ajax team. I think this Ajax team can go very far, provided he's here for a long time. If he's here for the rest of the season, I think they can do quite well in the Champions League as well. I'm expecting at least a quarterfinal run and beyond that, perhaps it's it's down to the luck of the draw. Um, but, But, you know, in terms of getting in Ten Hag, I think there would be a clash of ideologies where... You would have the German gegenpressing pressing style of, of Ralf Ranić and his own counter-pressing thing. And there would be a clash with the Cruyffianism of Ten Hag and Ajax, or the, the Ajax way that Ten Hag's been known to promote. Uh, obviously, there are a few similarities between them two, but there would be a bit of a clash between them. I don't I don't know how that's going to work. Um, obviously, with Pochettino as well, there's a, there's a similar line. But I would say Pochettino is more relaxed in his way, a bit more different. And, and I think that would suit more. So um, I, I think in my head the ideal scenario would be that Ranik does the six months, goes up, up upstairs to work from a sporting director role and gets in Pochettino next year. And I imagine that Pochettino would want to move as well because you know we've seen the stories in the past where he wants to move to England, his family lives here, 
And I imagine he likes the Premier League more than Liga because PSG, as a club, they may have the best talent in the world, but they don't seem like the most comfortable place because every coach leaves in the same way where they say there's too many stars, there's too many, too many, too much to manage beyond just the team. So I think that Pochettino doesn't seem very comfortable in that in that area. So he would want to take that role himself. Uh, and with Ajax and Ten Hag, obviously Ajax are a more free club. If people want to leave, they don't hold them to, to their contract. We've seen that in the past with Justin Kluivert, Brian Robbie, the, the young players who wanted to go. And I imagine they would do the same with, with Ten Hag as well, that if he want, if he says he wants to go, they'll give him a free pass. But I imagine Pochettino would be the ideal scenario. And as for Hasenhutl, you know, a very popular name with Rania. He, he sort of gave him his big break in, in, in German football and he hired him from uh, Aachen, I think it was. And uh, yeah, House Noodle is a very popular running disciple, but I, I don't think that towards the end of his Leipzig tenure, there was a bit of a clash in ideologies again, where House Noodle wanted to focus more on possession football and Ranik wanted to promote his gegenpressing, his counterpressing styles. So there was a bit of a clash in that football. And House Noodle himself isn't, I, I don't think he's a very popular name in, in English football himself. You know, he's done good work with Southampton, but everyone that talks about Southampton under House Noodle thinks of those two 9 0 losses. And even though they happened, a long time ago and it's hard to to put down all his work done to two results it's it's a big stain on his reputation and he has a long-term contract at Southampton I think it's there's four years left on it and I imagine after this wherever he goes it would be more likely Germany than England I agree with that and my my sort of last point before we wrap on wrap up on Pochettino I agree with the clash of ideologies a lot of people do think that Ten Hag would be the more logical fit but actually Ten Hag loves possession fo- possession based football and I think Pochettino is more happy to play play more transitional football than you know he's happy to give up possession and that's why I think not that Man United won't dominate possession under under Ranić but there is going to be there the focus is going to be on winning the ball back quickly go to goal vertical passes and look to score early so look current thank you so much for joining me today it was absolutely fantastic i could talk to you forever about ranik and red bull and we'll have to get you back on so hopefully we can do that very very soon but where can all the listeners find your your work we're going to put your book in the in the link below as well are there any other exciting projects that we should be all be looking out for yeah uh you can find me on twitter uh, my handle is at current underscore page 126 um uh, you can find my my books on all major book retailers, whether that's Amazon or Book Depository or Waterstones. Uh, my first book was about Red Bull, uh, very closely linked to Ranik. It was about it was called Wings of Change and all the Red Bull work in football over the last 15 odd years. And my second book is out next March in, in 2022. It's called Glorious Reinvention. It's, it's about Ajax and there's a bit about Elton Hag and his recent success. So uh, if that move ever turns out to happen, I think it would be a fine resource to have. So uh, yeah, that's where you can find all my work. If that move ever happens, we will definitely be getting you back on and we'll have a discussion. Thank you very much, Karen. As always, guys, give myself a phone at Hader underscore Barney and give us a follow on at TF Masterclass as well to keep up to date with all of our content. Give a like and subscribe. Check out the Ranik video I did with Rob as well. That was fantastic. We had some great feedback on that. Thank you very much for joining me and we'll see you all next time. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Social Podcast Network.